Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University, who continues his prolonged vacation in Tokyo, Japan. You know, Kobus, I really need to get an academic job to get these long vacations that you guys have. So uh, very <laughs> nice to talk with you. Everyone, everything else is, is really tough. <laughs> it really is one of the perks. You guys have crappy pay, sometimes awful bosses, but you have great vacations, and I think that's great. <laughs> and uh, hey, we're also thrilled to be going back to Beijing today. It's the first time we're going to Beijing in 2015, where uh, Bossi, Kemo Bossiello, who's a master's candidate uh, in the Department of International Relations at the very prestigious Tsinghua University, uh, he joins us uh, to talk about, well, a couple things. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a student in Beijing and all also Sino-South Africa relations. A very, very good day to you, Kemo. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you. And you and Kobus met recently at a conference in on China-Africa relations in Guangzhou, China, that was held in 2014. And uh, and and there was. It's really just exciting to meet students like you who are pursuing masters and PhDs in Beijing, particularly from Africa, in part because there's been all of this excitement in Africa and this promotion about studying in China. And so I guess before we get into the deep, kind of thoughtful political analysis that we're inevitably going to talk about today, I want to kind of get it. What's it like to be a student in Beijing for you? Uh, just tell us a little bit about your daily life. And because uh, I know a lot of people are considering studies there. And also just to kind of get a sense of, is it fun? Is it difficult? Is there all this nasty racism we hear about? What's, what's it like? Um, sure. Um, I guess when, when I first came here, I was like most South Africans, most Africans. I just I had no idea really what I was getting into. But I was I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I think the structure of my program is so that there are stacks of friends on me. So my entire class of international relations consists of people from all around the world. I think there's something like nine or 10 nationalities in my class. So that in itself makes the acclimatization process pretty easy. Um, it's it's much more fun getting lost if there's four of you than it would be sort of getting lost by yourself, um, not being able to speak a language in a foreign language. Um, so that wasn't that bad, actually. Um, I acclimatized pretty pretty quickly to the place. Um, the, the university life is also pretty nice. I think the first thing that struck me about, about Beijing was just how international it is. It's it's a really cosmopolitan city. Um, I I kind of expected to come and, and find this this very traditional China um, that I didn't really get off the get-go. You kind of have to look a bit more t- to get to that traditional China. Um, but once a while, that itself is, is one of the best things about being here. I think Beijing is this really culturally and traditionally rich um, city, but at the same time, modern and, and super cosmopolitan. So you have these these two worlds that you can kind of um, pretty seemingly uh, and easily easily sort of drift in between. Um, the experience of, I guess, being an African in, in China is, is, is a fascinating one. Um, you kind of have to get used to the stairs. That, that's, that's the first thing I noticed. Uh, you kind of get, get gawked at pretty, pretty intensely. Um, but I think it, it, it comes from uh, a decent, I don't think there's any malice in it. So um, my experience so far has been, has been really, really enjoyable. Okay, well, let's kind of shift away now from, from the personal to the more analytical. And wanted to kind of get your sense on China-Africa relations, specifically South Africa relations. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll speak from the point of view of an American. 
And one of the things that I find is that when I talk to Americans, particularly from Washington, from the institutions of power, um, and they talk about China, they're using a whole different mindset and vocabulary than what the Chinese are doing. And it almost feels like the Chinese and the Americans are, are talking past each other. Um, you know, and, 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 it's, it, and it's incredible to think that, are we talking about the same subject? Because when I was talking to somebody from China, they were saying this, and an American says this. And sometimes I feel like Chinese and Africans talk past each other as well. You know, very, you know, South Africa wants, they know what they want to get out of the relationship with China. China knows what it wants to get out of the relationship with South Africa. And sometimes I wonder if, if they're not speaking the same language and on the same page. Tell me about your perspective now that you're in Beijing, you're in China, you're talking with Chinese. Do you feel that there is the same miscommunication that there is with the Americans? Or do you feel that the Chinese and South Africans may be uh, working from the same page? I, I think, let me start by saying that um, I find the China-South Africa relationship to be incredibly unique, um, both in a, in a world context, but also in a, in a Sino-Africa relations context. Um, I, I, I think China and South Africa have, have this, this really interesting, um, intimate almost, relationship. Um, I'm not too sure if it's been driven from the South African side or from the Chinese side or from both, but um, to a large extent, I think the rhetoric that comes out of the two countries is is quite similar. Um, and every now and again, you'll get something weird coming out of South Africa that's sort of um, a warning almost not to get too dependent on China and, and to watch out um, in terms of creating similar structures that we had with uh, with Western countries, but to a large degree, I think I think the two seem to be um, on the same page. Uh, I know quite a big deal was made of this this last year, which is the year of South Africa in China, and 2015 is going to be the year of China in, in South Africa. Um, and and at least from from a top level, it, it seems like the two countries are pretty happy with the trajectory of the of the relationship. Um, and I mean, you you talk about the top level. Do you um, see that there is, is a bit of a split between the top level and and the, and the general public in South Africa? That's the feeling I sometimes get in in discourse in South Africa. That there is, you know, that that the South African government is super on board with making friends with China, and that the South African people are much more hesitant, and that it it then kind of pops out occasionally in complicated ways in certain kind of around certain kind of hot button issues, particularly the Dalai Lama um, and poaching, you know, kind of that the, that there are these kind of inflamed issues that that kind of provide this moment of of expressing frustration with, with how close the, the government is to China, whereas the rest of the public doesn't necessarily feel that close to China. Is that some, am I oversimplifying? Is that something you see as well? Um, no, I, I think that's a pretty accurate representation of, of the, the way the relationship is at the moment. Um, I think um, once you start going down from from sort of government executive level, uh, I think business, some business uh, is is quite concerned, especially in uh, textile, I guess, industries are, are quite concerned about the space that's sort of being crowded out by by Chinese manufactured products. Um, and then I think even even lower than business, just on a public perception uh, point of view, I think the instances you brought up of the Dalai Lama and um, of the poaching and I guess China's um, ambivalence or just complete lack of, of any commanding statement regarding that um, do concern South Africans quite a bit. 
Um, I, I think also the the further away you get from um, people that have either studied China South Africa relations or are involved in some sort of China South Africa relations, then there seems to be a growing sense of that concern. Um, there's almost a, a China threat perception that that I think many South Africans still still have. Well, to be fair here, if that is in fact the case, uh, then South Africa is going to look a lot like the United States. Uh, in the United States, public opinion of China is extremely low, but yet most Americans don't understand that the vast majority of the crap that they buy in Walmart or Target comes from China. They like the low prices. They like the sourcing. Uh, they like the fact that Chinese buy their debt because it keeps the interest rates low for their mortgages. Uh, so they don't necessarily understand the, the economic and political relationship, but the optics of the relationship, the Dalai Lama, again, in the United States is a very potent issue. Taiwan's a potent issue. China's bullying, supposed bullying in the South China Sea and all of the different, I say supposed only because it is debatable. Um, I, not, I always have to put, uh, Camo, all these disclaimers on when I say things because people are very sensitive, um, <laughs> you know. But, so, uh, but all of these complicated political issues that affect the optics of the relationship make it such that public opinion about China is very low, but the business community has driven the relationship with China for decades. Uh, it's the lobbies that have really maintained, you know, taking down tariffs and making most favored nation trade status something that was key issue for the Clintons. Um, and so in that ways, it seems a little bit like the, the U.S.-China relationship where the public and the institutions of power are disconnected from one another. Cobus, you know, would you think that's a fair comparison in some ways? I think it is. Um, the, one, the one difference that I see is that the U.S. is maybe compared to you know most other countries the US is very sure of its position in the world even though there are there are doubts you know kind of and an anxieties expressed in the US generally as you know kind of in the big picture the US is is pretty you know kind of sure about what what its role is in the world maybe uniquely so um i think south africa is much more ambivalent about in which direction it's going and i think there's an ideological fight in south africa about what you know kind of what the kind of larger kind of political direction that South Africa is going in into the future. There's a, there's a kind of fight between between a kind of a 90s style Mandela era human rights um, based culture um, and a, a much more hard nosed economic focus. You know, kind of that is that that has become sort of the South African government's you know focus after after the end of the Mandela era, um, and that I think is you know kind of forces South Africa into into a bunch of different relationships that so that, that the South African public find themselves uncomfortable with. And I think that is lies at the base of anxieties around the Dalai Lama, for example. I don't think most South Africans would even be able to find Tibet on the map. The issue is much more is is South Africa aligning itself with this kind of 90s kind of liberal, you know, kind of Western-centered human rights culture? Or is it going into a developmentalist, you know, kind of emerging market China direction? I think that that, that, is, that is lies at the heart of that. You know, uh, Kimmo, look, from your vantage point in Beijing, I'm very interested to get your take on some of the points that Kobus just raised here. But more importantly is to say, what are South Africans missing about the China-Africa relationship that you can see from Beijing, but that people back home in South Africa can't see by virtue of the fact that, A, they're not well acquainted, as, as, as Kobus pointed out, most people can't find Tibet on a map. Now, uh, presumably, you can find Tibet on a map. Uh, and so because of your insights at Tsinghua and because of your, your experience with uh, your, your professors, with politicians, with all of the various people that you've come into contact with at Tsinghua, 
what about the Sino-South African relationship are South Africans not understanding? For me, I think what South Africans are missing a bit about this relationship is the massive potential that it presents for South Africa. And not just from an economic point of view, but from, from I think, a, a global positioning point of view. I think um, for some reason, I, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier about the uniqueness of, of the China-South Africa relationship. For some reason, um, I think there are a number of reasons, but China has identified South Africa as its sort of go-to country in Africa. Um, I, um, I, I mean, China was instrumental in, in South Africa joining um, the BRICS uh, group. Um, China lobbied hard for South Africa to to become a part of that. Um, and and that has led to, to South Africa obviously being part of the BRICS Development Bank. Um, and I think these, these are monumental things for a country of, of South Africa stature. Um, if you look at um, South Africa and their, their sort of uh, power, their global reach, their spending power in comparison to the other BRICS countries, I, I think we're, we're pretty lucky to be there. Um, I mean, Nigeria is, is a bigger economy than us at the moment. Nigeria has almost three times our population size. Um, so, I mean, in, in pure economics point of view, in, in the projected future, they, they could end up, you know, superseding South Africa. So I, I think we're, we're really lucky to, to have been sort of partnered up in this buddy relationship that we seem to have with, with China. Um, and I, I, I think also that we, we seem to have pretty okay footing in terms of restructuring the relationship in, in certain aspects that we don't like. I know um, China has been quite receptive to criticisms of, of the trade imbalances in the relationship with China and South Africa. So I, I, I see huge potential in, in the relationship. And I think the problems that are there aren't, aren't sort of problems that can't be fixed. So um, I wonder if you could, if if we could um, focus a little bit on the um, on the, the the relationship between the top level structures. Um, you know, there's recently been been made a, a lot has been made about the fact that China is going to fund a China style training facility in South Africa, where um, people lower down on the party hierarchy um, are essentially going to be trained in, in kind of in, in the same way that they are trained in the, in the Communist Party. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you see as the, the kind of the relationship between the parties themselves and whether there's some kind of shared culture. Um, I think that's really interesting. The the party pa the party to party dynamic between China and South Africa is I, I find really fascinating, but it's also a really difficult one to interpret because there's obviously not much official uh, discourse coming out of either governments in, in that relation. Um, but I, I find it really interesting. I, I remember reading the other day that since I think 2008 or something, they've been something cl close to 50 or so party-to-party uh, training or, or meetings that have, that have happened between China and South Africa, which is, is, is completely undocumented. At least I, I didn't know about this until I'd read this article. Um, and I think, I think what the two parties do share, whether the ANC would admit it or not, is, is a desire for, for a, a, a relative stronghold over uh, the, the progression, the development, the trajectory of, of the society. Um, obviously, China is is much more explicit about that. But I also think that there's a, a trend that, the, that South Africa is shifting to this this um, emerging uh, economy developmental idea um, and kind of reconsidering this this liberal 
liberal democratic state um, sort of sentiment that it had carried before. I think South African foreign policy at the moment is really confused. Uh, and some of that does have to do with China. Um, we, as mentioned earlier, where we are sometimes the promoter of human rights and then sometimes we deny the Dalai Lama a visa into our country. Um, sometimes we'll, we'll send our troops and, and condemn uh, action by, by uh, political actors in the continent and other times we won't. So I, I think South Africa is, is in a transitional phase and, and China does play a role in that, I think. Kemo, you're going to be graduating in 2015, later this year, with a master's degree, and you've got this amazing experience. Uh, what's your plan when you when you finish? Are you going to be involved in China-Africa, China-South Africa relations, or uh, do you want to stay in China? Do you want to come back to South Africa? What, what do you think you're going to do with your new degree? Um, my plan is to, at the moment, my plan is to stay in China for um, a year, a year. I, I, I kind of just want to be able to sit back after, I guess, three years and contrast between the student experience in, in China and then the working experience. I, I think they, they have very, very different things to offer. Um, and I, I would kind of just just always kick myself if I didn't if I didn't experience that side of, of China. Um, but but for me, the, the ultimate plan is always to come back to South Africa. Uh, I, I, I always see myself living in South Africa. And, and eventually, I want to take this China experience and be able to apply the things I've learned uh, to uh, a South African setting. You know, because, Kobus, we get a lot of questions from students and young people who say, how do I get a job in China, Africa? Something related, whether it's trade, politics, NGO work, or whatnot. And so I think talking to uh, people like Gemmo is uh, really exciting. And it gives me, again, more you know, that I'm just thrilled to see young people like you and Huang Hongxiang in, in, in Kenya, and we've talked to Kai Xue in Beijing as well, these young people who are just really incredibly sharp and focused on China-Africa relations. And so we're just thrilled that you were able to join us on the show today. Thank you so much for getting up so early, too. Uh, we've had internet problems in Vietnam, so recording in the night is difficult, so we requested Kemo to join us early in the morning. Uh, Kemo, you know you're a longtime listener of the show. One of the things that we do after... Uh, at the end of every program is kind of try to kind of encourage our, our listeners to, to follow you on social media. But given that you are behind the great firewall in Beijing, I'm not so sure that you can participate in anything related to Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Uh, is there anywhere that people can read some of your writing or follow what you're doing? So one thing that you learn very early on being a, a Laowai in, in China is ways to get around, I guess, the great firewall. Um, so I have recently snuck my way around and managed to join Twitter. Um, so I, I, you can find me on Twitter um, at Socialist Bantu. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, Kobus, he, he totally tops you for the best Twitter name of the year. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Kobus, where can people find you on social media to find yeah, out what you're my, reading my... and writing? My, you know, kind of second, sec, second to best Twitter name of the year is um, is at Stadenesk. That's S T A D E N E S Q U E. And my boring old Twitter name is E O Lander. E O L A N D E R. Also, Kobus and I are on Facebook uh, every day, uh, tweeting and Facebooking, updating our page with the top. 
China-Africa stories. Uh, basically, every three or four hours, we're posting new stories on China-Africa relations. So it's a great way to stay on top of news. Uh, just check in. Find us at uh, facebook.com slash China-Africa uh, China Project. And then you can find us if you want to follow this podcast over on iTunes. Just look for us under the China-Africa Project. Uh, Kemo, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We hope to have you back on the show. And best of luck with the rest of your studies. Thank you so much. This was really great fun. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And we'll be back again Thank very you. soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.